Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is March the 9th, and our chapter for today is Joshua chapter 24. A lot of water has run under the bridge since we opened up the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And we have come a long way. You have been reading a lot of scripture and you have formed some definite patterns in your life. What I want to do is help you to understand this last chapter of the book of Joshua before we go into the fascinating book of Judges. And so what I'm going to do is what is called a homily. I'm going to just go down through the verses and explain them to you and just give you what would be called a running commentary on these passages. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. We say Shechem, but when we look at the Hebrew text, it is Shechem. And he called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they all came there to Shechem and presented themselves before God. Joshua was about to die, and he wanted to remind the people why they were there and how they came on the long journey. Just as God had brought Abram on a long journey, so they had come on a long journey as well. Now, it's interesting. The scripture says, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river. In old times, and they served other gods. Now you'll notice immediately that in this text it says, Your fathers, including Terah, that including is in italics. That means it's not in the original text, that is, the word including. It's not there explicitly, but it is there implicitly. In other words, there is an implication that what's true of Terah was true of Abram, was true of Nahor, and and of Haran who died. And uh, the reason was they all were idol worshipers. Yes, Father Abraham worshiped, just like his father, Terah, other gods. And you might be shocked about that, but you shouldn't be. You see, we all do that to begin with to some degree or another. If you live any time at all, you'll realize that you are the greatest God in your life or you worship another God, but you are self-willed, you sin. And in ancient times, they worshiped the sun, the moon, the stars, that is creation and what their own hands created. This is why the Bible says it's so foolish to worship an idol. That is something that's been made by man's hands or a machine or by your own hands. The scripture tells about how foolish a man is to cut down a tree and with one part of it, he builds a fire, sharpens a knife. And with the other part of the tree, he carves out something that looks like some object or a man or an animal. And then he bows down before that in the light of that fire that he made with part of the wood that he just carved out a carving with. And he bows down before that and says, you are my God, you made me. 
You say, well, that is insanity. Yes, that's what sin does to a man. This is what self-worship does to a man. This is what happens when we turn our back on our creator and we start worshiping gods of our own making. Now, before you scold Abraham, Terah, Nahor, and Haran, then what you need to do is remember that we worship cars, jobs, automobiles of every sort, tractors, houses, careers, children, a wife, a husband. You see, an idol is anything that has the place of God in your life. The greatest God mostly we have in our lives is our own being our own self-will, our own rebellion, doing what we want to do. And so all I'm saying is be careful because you see on the other side of the river and the other side of the Jordan and the other side of the Euphrates, this is where they got in trouble in God for some reason. We don't know. We don't know why he called Abraham no more than why we know he called us. It's in the sovereignty of God. Now, some people don't like that because they want an answer to everything. Well, I can just tell you what you would say if you were a union worker is that's way above my pay grade. You see, God is sovereign and God chooses whom he will for the reasons that only he alone knows. We can speculate, we can guesstimate, we can theologize, but let me tell you, only God knows why he chose us because I have searched my own life. I don't know why he chose me and I don't know why he chose you, those of you that I know, because there is nothing good within us. It's the grace and mercy and sovereignty of God, just like it was with Abram. I'm content with that to let God handle that because one of these days, if he wants me to know when we get to heaven, we'll know. I don't think I will on this side of life because no one down through the ages who are much greater men and women than I am, God's not told them. I don't think he will tell me and show me either. And we just start in verse three with God saying, then I took your father. He didn't say why. He just said, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac, Yitzhak, I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. Now, this is interesting. You see, God gave Esau an inheritance, and he still had that inheritance 400 years later. And we know that because when the sons of Jacob led by Moses, who were about two million strong, came out of Egyptian bondage by a strong and mighty arm. God led them by Mount Seir through the land of the Edomites. That's the other name for Esau is Edom, the red man. And when they came through, the descendants of Esau of Edom were still there. But they were not as plentiful, they were not as many, and they were not as strong, even though they were a strong and mighty people, as the sons of Jacob who had gone into a foreign land. It's amazing that God took Jacob's descendants, who were only 70 people, down into the land. Now listen to this, down into the land of Egypt. And there, for 400 years, he made them a great nation. He multiplied them. Jacob's lineage had an opportunity to prosper and to grow and to multiply. 
because they were in a land of plenty. Yes, they were made slaves, but God delivered them. But God took them there so he could multiply them. And yes, they had a hard time, but God was in it. And look at Esau's descendants. Look at the Edomites. They were not nearly as many. Why? Because they were eking out a living for those 400 years in the desert. Yes, they had an existence, but it was a hard life. The sons of Jacob, they lived in the best part of Egypt. They lived in the land of Goshen, of green and wonder, and they had all kinds of luxuries, and they could eat the best of the land when everyone else was starving around the world with drought. They were in plenty. All to say, the last thing that Joshua did was to remind them that even though they had to go through hardship of Egyptian bondage, God was even multiplying and blessing them then in comparison to what he was doing with his brother Esau, with Jacob's brother Esau. And so he said to Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. And then he starts talking to them personally. And he talks about how he brought the fathers out of Egyptian bondage and all the kings that were conquered, how that God spared them, even though Balak hired Balaam to curse them. God even spared them and caused Balaam to bless instead of curse. And how God had dried up the Jordan River in front of them, had handed Jericho over to them that they had cleared out the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Now, not all of them, but many of them. You see, even during the days of King David, we're going to see that many of these same kind of people were there. They were still there. Think of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, yes, the Hittite, not a Jew, not an Israelite, not a Hebrew, a Hittite. And he was one of David's chief men and one of his most honorable men. And God said, I sent the hornet. Now, this word is used for a hornet like a wasp, but it's also the same root, and it's argued as to whether it means leprosy, whether it means some kind of disease, some kind of plague. Honestly, we don't know what it is. I mean, a hornet or a wasp and wild hornets are bad enough. But what if this was something else? Whatever it was, the people were driven out. And Joshua rehearsed with them, I have given you a land which you did not labor, cities which you did not build. You dwell in them. You eat of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. You see, when the children of Israel came in and ran the people off or they killed the people in battle, they destroyed them. When they were given the land, it was already in harvest. It already had plants. It already had vineyards. It already had olive trees. It already was plowed. And yes, they did a lot more, but they went into a land that was already flowing with milk and honey. And so Joshua said, God has been good to you, so you don't need to go back and do what the fathers did. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord, that is, reverence him, give him his rightful place, serve him with sincerity, that means integrity, and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Now this is amazing, because 
Joshua told them to do something, that means they were already in possession of some of the same gods that God had forbidden Abraham to bring into the land. Joshua challenged the people. And then this great passage, starting in verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He said, you might go back and worship the same gods of Mesopotamia that our fathers worshiped, or you may choose to serve the gods and idols of the land in which you're in, the people that you're driving out. But he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Karen and I for years have had that saying in our home. Quite honestly, we've moved so many times, I forget where it is. But the reality is we'll find it and we will put it back up or we'll buy us another plaque that has it. The reason is I want people to know and and my children to know and my grandchildren to know that as for me and my house, as for me and my children, as for me and my grandchildren, we are going to serve the Lord. We choose to do that. And if someone goes astray, they are going astray from the way the family has chosen to go. Now, that's up to each individual, yes. But the father and the mother set the tone for the home. Don't ever forget that, Dad. Don't ever forget that, Mom. You set the tone for the home. If your children go against and your grandchildren go against the tenor of the home, listen, that's their choice. But you serve the Lord and make sure that in your household, God's going to be honored. And I could really stop and talk about a lot of things that are going on in homes right now that are allowed that we just cannot allow in our home. There are some things that are not going to happen in my home. That doesn't mean I don't love people. That doesn't mean I don't love my children. That doesn't mean that I don't love my grandchildren. But whether it's my children, my grandchildren, or uh, my father, my mother, whoever it is, there's some behaviors and some language and some characteristics that are not going to be exhibited in the home that I live in and that I am the head of the household. You know why? Because God holds me responsible just like he does you. Well, I'm going to move on for now. And so I want you to understand these last few verses, because after Joshua had talked with the people and the people said, we're going to do all of this, we're going to do just what you say, we're going to follow just what Moses said, we're going to follow the God of our ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse 22, so Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we're witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, listen to this. Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Here again, this is what I'm saying to you. They hadn't been in the land any time and they had already picked up old habits. Now, is this amazing how we go back so quickly to a lifestyle and to a way of thinking which precedes a lifestyle and to a person that we worship or a thing that we worship so quickly? It is amazing. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to you. It's amazing to God that we so quickly do this. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people in verse 25. 
there in Shechem. And he wrote everything down and he placed it a large stone and set it up under the oak tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And so it says, then Joshua let the people depart east to his own inheritance. And then you have the closing, the really uh, just the closing verses of Joshua. And it says that after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. He was 110 years old when he died. That's like another great man of God that we'll look at here in a couple of verses. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. That is, they kept on serving the Lord, but just for a couple of generations. Do you realize that in your family lineage and in mine, we're only one generation from that line stopping serving the Lord? And after we are gone and after people are out from under our roof, after people are out of our sight and out from under our care, even sometimes while they are, they go astray. How many pastors, godly pastors, how many churches have thrived under a man's teaching and under a certain pastor. And then after he leaves, it's just like the leadership loses their mind. They go back to just like they said they never wanted to go back to doing things just like they had always done them. And sometimes that's after decades of a man being there, but they want to go back to something that is so different than what they had seen in the past. You know, there's an old saying, it's not really godly or anything like that. It's just there, but it's a good thing that we need to remember Again, it's not Bible, but there's no saying that says you need to dance with the one that brung you. Well, lots of times after a man of God will leave, people will forsake the thing that made the church great. It's amazing. The word of God, the preaching of the word of God, discipleship, loving God, loving others. It just seems like that we've always got to find some new fad and some new trend. That's what happened. Now look at verse 32. The bones of Joseph, you can go back and read in Genesis chapter 50. I think it's verses 24 is where it starts. It's the last couple of verses, Joseph made the children of Israel swear an oath that they would take his bones up because he knew God would be faithful. God had been faithful to him. He knew God would be faithful in spite of his lineage. And so he said, you're going to one day get up out of this land and you're going to go back to the land that God promised to our fathers. And when you do, take my bones with you and bury me in the inheritance that I have there. So indeed, he was buried in the inheritance of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he was buried there in the area of Shechem. And so all of that is recorded. And the Bible says that Joseph died at 110 and Joshua died at 110. It is amazing. We have come already through Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. No, we've not covered every chapter, but are you getting the story? Tomorrow I'll remind you of that, and then we're going to introduce the book of Judges. What a fascinating book that it is. We're going to walk through it as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. 
Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.